Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is made possible with the support of Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Hotelconnections.com Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines. Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. SeaburyCapital.com and the Boyd International Aviation Forecast Summit this October in Cincinnati. Visit AirlinesConfidential.com to attend at a reduced rate. We also welcome your business's support. Info at AirlinesConfidential.com. Please don't ever again ask him a question about airport codes. He's Ben Baldanza, former CEO of Spirit Airlines, who now teaches about how airlines work. Or Ben, maybe I should thank you for doing that because it made my job easier this week because we're going to fill the thing up with listener comments and questions and corrections. But anyway. Hello. Absolutely right. Well, I always get introduced as who now teaches about how airlines work. What that refers to is a class at George Mason University called Airline Economics. And what listeners may not know is that my co-host here has actually helped me with that class since it began. And the feedback I get from students is how awesome he is when he talks to them about how you really think about how airlines make money and what they do. So thanks a lot to Seth Kaplan, NPR is here and now transportation analyst. An OG contributor to your (laughs) class, pushing back from the gate. This is Airlines Confidential, the show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline world each week. Today, we're going to talk about Pan Am. Well, sort of. We'll explain. And we're going to talk about airport codes. And airport codes. And airport codes. First, though, (laughs) let's prepare for takeoff with the week's news. Ben, for the first time in seven months, we're going to start with a story that's not about coronavirus. Great, Awesome. Well, not so fast. That doesn't mean this is a good story. Two veteran flight attendants are suing United Airlines, alleging its staffs charter flights for National Football League teams, not based on seniority, the way most flights are staffed, but based, quote, entirely on their racial and physical attributes and stereotypical notions of sexual allure, unquote, that according to Bloomberg News, which uh, gave an account of the lawsuit, the plaintiffs are an African-American woman who has worked for the airline for 28 years and a Jewish woman who's been there for 34 years. They say they've tried unsuccessfully to work the NFL charter flights, which they say tend to be staffed by young, blonde, female flight attendants. Now, for its part, according to Bloomberg, quote, United said the average age of flight attendants on its sports team charters is 46, that the average tenure of such attendants exceeds 19 years, and that it has a higher percentage of African-Americans in its sports team charter program than in its overall flight attendant population, unquote. Ben, all you and I know is what we read here. This will all be sorted out in court. But I found this interesting because when I hear allegations like this, I think about uh, things we've read about maybe Qatar Airways, Arabian Gulf Airlines, allegations there. I think about times I've flown on certain airlines in the world where, you know, I have to imagine that the reason the flight attendants are who they are is not because nobody other than a 20-something 
been female flight attendant is interested in being a flight attendant, right? I think about the Pan Am show that I know didn't last very long, but several years back, people got to watch the, you know, glamour days, but also the underbelly of that from back then. Kind of surprised to, to, to read these allegations in the U.S., again, regardless of, of the merits of them and what ultimately comes of this case. Well, that's exactly right, Seth. I read about this case and just got kind of sad saying, wow, I hope United isn't doing the wrong thing here, right? (laughs) Now, they're making this case. Maybe, you know, I don't know how United decides how to staff its NFL charters. I don't know what their their contract with the NFL says that they must supply as part of their charters, right? (laughs) So So I don't know any of that. And so um, when I saw that, I thought, wow, you know, but if flight attendants there are feeling that that there's a gamesmanship going on here, that's just not good for labor relations in general. It's not good overall. Now, the United commentary about who really staffs these and and the tenure and things like that makes it look like normal. Maybe we'll have to see sort of what happens in this case. But you know, the industry doesn't have a great history around this kind of thing. Flight attendants have been thought about not only for their safety implications, you know, throughout the industry's history, thankfully not much in the last 20 years or so have people done this sort of stuff. But if you can remember the early Southwest, the flight attendants used to wear hot pants, right? That wouldn't, who would, who would allow that today? And who would think that's right today, even at Southwest, right? But they did that in the seventies. I remember a story early in my career where I think it was Southwest, but I don't want to blame Southwest on this if it wasn't them, that they ran a promotion that when you board the plane, if you kiss the flight attendant, you got a discount on the flight. I mean, can you imagine that today? But that was this industry in the 70s. And I think as an industry, we need to own up to that kind of history. And if people have worked at places like United for 20, 30 years, they know that that history existed. So for them to say, we're still seeing vestiges of that is both sad, but also understandable. And if in fact that is the case, then I hope they win actually, if if things really are going wrong there. I actually hope what United said is the right answer and that in fact there isn't this kind of shenanigans going on. But the industry doesn't have a perfect track record on this, Seth. Yeah, and, and you're half a generation older than I am. You were in the working world in the 1980s, whereas I wasn't until the 1990s. And in the 1980s, look, it wasn't the Pan Am days anymore in terms of the law. Yes, Pan Am, the airline still existed then. But I mean, airlines couldn't fire flight attendants for getting married and that sort of thing. That that was that was over. Can you remember any vestiges of that era? Things that you saw then that just again, setting aside these allegations, generally speaking, you just wouldn't see anymore. There's a lot, Seth. Uh, You know, there's some of them are in the office environment. I don't know that there's so many on the airplane itself. I mean, I don't know that the on the airplane experience used to be much more either sexually charged or or just um, inappropriate or would be considered inappropriate today. I don't know that that's the case as much as, you know, people just talked in different ways 20, 30 years ago. And I'm not proud of saying that. And I'm not proud of, of, of probably even participating in some of that, even though I didn't 
think of it as anything negative, but the world's just changed in a lot of ways and in a lot of good ways. I'm not saying that in, I wish it could be like good old days again. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we're in a better place today where we respect people, hopefully for who they are and what they are, not what they look like, right? Or where they came from, but what they do and what they contribute to society and things like that. And so this is a, you know, as a, as a, as a society, we've grown up and you see that in offices. Maybe you see that some on the airplane. I hope that we weren't that bad on the airplane sort of years ago. But when I think about it, there's just a lot of things that happened in the 80s. The songs, the the movies, all the things that just depicted things in ways that today would be seen as inappropriate and way out of context. I mean, yeah. you see that in movies. I mean, like Blazing Saddles, for example. Would that be a popular movie if it were released today? It probably wouldn't, right? It has, yeah, a, it has yeah. a lot of things that today would be seen more negatively, but it was a very popular movie in the 70s and 80s, right? Yeah, I think I think most of us at least laughed at something in the past that we wouldn't now, right? Even if we yeah. weren't out there doing, you know, even if we are, are sensitive people who are who, who would like to think we're on the right side of, of, of history. I, I think right. a lot of us have different, uh, have different sensibilities now than, than, than we did. Absolutely. Well, time now, Ben, to look into our crystal ball, otherwise known as Sirium airline schedules. <laughs> it's the middle of the month, which these days is about when you can start to get a pretty good idea of airline schedules for the following month. So in this case, we're talking about October. And of course, what matters most of all to airlines isn't how many seats are flying, but how many tushies are actually in those seats, what kinds of fares people are paying. But for what it's worth, the schedules do tell us something about what kind of travel demand airlines are seeing. Obviously, they wouldn't schedule lots of seats if they didn't think not a lot of people were going to be flying. And to be clear, what we're always comparing is weekly scheduled seats for a given month versus that same month in 2019. That's because with usual seasonality, as you've talked about in the past, Ben, the fact that September is lower than July doesn't tell us anything because September is always worse than July. What we care about is whether September is down more or less compared to September last year than July was down compared to July last year. So you might remember about this time last month, we told you things were looking ominous. Looking at domestic U.S. scheduled airline seats, May of this year was down fully 75% compared to May of last year. That was the worst month by that measure. Uh, After that, each month got a bit better. And by August, it was down to just 43%. I say just 43%. That would have been (laughs) terrible in any other era, but but, but that was kind of the high watermark since May. So it was on this upward trajectory, but then September was down 49%. Okay, so again, August down 43%. September backslid, 49%. Wrong direction. Well, Ben... October, as of now, is looking to be down something like 43 or 44% compared to October of last year, moving back in the right direction. Kind of feels like it's not that anything great is happening yet in terms of the pandemic, but maybe people are just accustomed to how things are. The new normal, in other words, is not so new anymore, and whoever's traveling is going to travel whether COVID-19 stats get better or worse in a given week or month. That's interesting, Seth. And I think you're right about the people who are going to travel are just going to travel and presume that they're going to take the appropriate precautions by wearing their masks and things like that and distancing where they should and can. But October is a real interesting month for the industry. 
And I hope that this sort of at least leveling out, if not a return to maybe a little bit more capacity, again, 43, 44% down doesn't sound great, right? But a little more capacity. I hope that is suggestive of the fact that businesses who make the decision whether to send employees out to travel. Now, I'm sure many of those employees have a say in this, right? Of I don't really feel comfortable traveling or I do feel comfortable traveling. But ultimately, the businesses who are paying for business travel are the ones buying the tickets. So they have to decide this is a good expense and I'm willing to ask my employees to make these trips. And normally that's what drives the month of October. And early November, until at least you get to the back half of the month, which tends to be dominated by Thanksgiving in the U.S. at least, right? And so what I'm hopeful of is that that relatively modest 43 or 44% decline, which again, I can't believe I'm using the word modest for that. Right. But that decline. Right. 9-11 indicative. was like 10%, right? Yeah, no, that's right. Six months later, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping though that that's indicative that enough businesses are telling the airlines, look, we want to book right now and we want to send people out. And I said back in April or May on this podcast that – that the fall was going to tell us a lot about what the return of business travel might be. Because if we have a reasonable fall, I remember saying, and by reasonable, I didn't mean the same as last year or anything like that. But if, if you see activity that businesses are saying, we want to go out and audit these plans. We want to send our salespeople out to drive more revenue. We want to do things like that, right? Where, we, we get that Zoom works for some things, but it doesn't work for everything, right? And if we saw that, then I said that bode, would bode well for a potentially more robust spring and summer on the leisure side. So it's way early to say that yet, and I'm not predicting that yet, but I'm hopeful that these schedule data from, from Sirium sort of suggest that airlines are putting that out there because they're starting to hear some things from businesses And that maybe that means with some reasonable business travel in the fall, that leisure travelers will want to fly again in spring and summer. Now, if you lay against that, all the macro news about will there be a vaccine or not, and do plasma treatments work or not, and should we have a mask mandate or not, right, and sort of all the things that are being talked about, I do get the sense that the broader zeitgeist, if I can use that word, is that that we see a pathway out of this at some point. The question is that, do we actually see light at the end of the tunnel yet, or are we just seeing an illusion, and this is really going to take a lot longer? That's certainly possible, too. Yeah, a a friend of mine wrote, pointing out, we've been talking about the Boyd International Aviation Forecast Summit, of course, grateful for, for uh, their partnership. And and I said last week that they're one of the only, if not the only in-person airline conference. Anyway, a friend of mine pointed out that a, a routes conference called Takeoff is going to be in Denver in late October in person uh, scheduled. So uh, that would be shortly thereafter. So, so there you go, just kind of in the airline industry. And it makes sense that the airline industry would be one of the first to, to, to try to get out there and start. Plus, uh, I'm glad you're getting corrected too, Seth. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
exactly. But um, but 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 there you go. So so yeah. So some again to you. If you said zeitgeist, can I say green shoots? I hate <laughs> yeah, sure. These, these pukey cliches, but maybe maybe uh, if if anything, at least people becoming a, a little less sensitive to sort of the day to day vacillations of the news cycle, even though far away from uh, being. Oh God, here comes another one. Out of the woods, right? I, I, yeah. <laughs> no more cliches. The rest of the show. Well, as I uh, said, down down 43 to 44% for October as of now. That is a domestic average for all U.S. airlines. Individually, they range from Allegiant, which is barely down at all, just 6%, to Delta, American, Southwest, Alaska, and Frontier, all down a little less than half. United, uh, down a little more than half. And JetBlue and Hawaiian, both down uh, more than 70% for for. Uh, October. So variability there among the U.S. airlines in terms of domestic seats scheduled for October. Well, time yeah, next. Ge- geography explains a lot of that. Oh, abso- oh ab- absolutely. No, you yeah. can. That, that, that's been the case the whole pandemic. Time next for a lot of talk about airport codes. And I mean a lot. <laughs> but first, we want to thank Clear for their support. Travel with confidence with Clear. Touchless, fast, safer airport travel. Clear's touchless identity verification is available in 30 airports nationwide, moving you quickly without crowds through airport security. Enroll today at www.clearme.com slash airlines. That's www.clearme.com slash airlines. Okay, stuck with us, not despite the fact that I told you much of the rest of the show would be dedicated to airport codes, but because of it. And now you are about to be richly rewarded. Let's kick it off with a rune down in Dallas. We've heard from him a few times over the months, always with something good. This is better than good. A rune writes, I wanted to follow up on airport codes from last week's episode. Uh, some comments on what you said. First, Ben said he couldn't remember the last time an IATA code changed. Did he forget one of the most well-known airports in the country? Idlewild. That airport had a code of IDL before it was renamed for John F. Kennedy, and the code was changed to JFK. Secondly, you mentioned in jest that Akron Canton, C-A-K, couldn't use NFL because it was already taken. I I mentioned that because the Football Hall of Fame is there, right? (laughs) Right. Uh, However, Arun tells us, even if it wasn't taken, they couldn't use it. Codes beginning with N are restricted in the U.S. to naval air stations. Uh, Codes beginning with W and K are restricted to avoid confusion with FCC radio and TV stations. East of the Mississippi, most of them are W, right? The the WPLG in Miami or what have you. Uh, West of the Mississippi in Cincinnati. Right, right. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Or KNBZ or whatever out out west. That is why Newark is EWR and Key West is EYW. Right? No N, no K. Also, two interesting useless facts. Number one, some airports kept their old National Weather Service code when everything moved to three-letter codes and just added an X. That's L-A-X, P-D-X, P-H-X, for example. Number two, airports within a certain distance from each other cannot have the same first and second or second and third letters to avoid confusion. That's why you see DCA and IAD for Reagan National and Dulles and HOU and IAH for Houston Hobby and Bush Intercontinental. Ben, I uh, I mean, I knew one or two of those things, but but that is a lot of 
great information. Really, the, the X was the only one that I was fully aware of. And JFK, that airport opened in 1948. How did we not think of the fact that it <laughs> obviously did not have JFK as, as, as an airport code? Well, you know, and I'm going to re- I'm going to make myself seem so old right now, Seth. But there was a really old TV show called Car 54 yeah. that had two guys who later um, were in the Munsters in it. Right? Fred, <laughs> Fred Gwynn and Al Lewis, right? But but in Car 54 it had a theme song. And I only remember this as a real little kid. I'm the youngest of five kids. My oldest brother was 12 years older than me. Right. So we had TV going on the house when I was little. Right. And in one of the lines in the theme song to Car 54 was Khrushchev's do at Idlewild. Ah. And I had no idea what that meant. Like I knew the words, but what are they talking about other than Khrushchev was a Russian leader? Right. It's like, what do you mean he's do at Idlewild? Is that some festival? Is that something? I didn't even realize that that was the airport that became JFK. Now I learned later on, of course, that it used to be Idlewild Airport and knew that and then figured out as an adult, oh, that's what that phrase went. But even then, like 48 is a long time ago. Even I'm not that old, Seth. (laughs) Zach from Philly also pointed out the same thing about the letter N using the same example of Newark and he notes a recent change Istanbul's old Ataturk airport became ISL when the new airport there opened and took the IST code Joe from Detroit also mentioned the Istanbul example and noted that DEN that code moved from the old Stapleton International to the current Denver International Airport I know people in town there call it DIA, even though the code is D-E-N. But Joe says the code was originally going to be D-I-A. Now, Ben, I haven't tried to verify that independently, but I'm just going to guess Joe, like all our listeners, probably knows what he's talking about. Well, Ben, we have not even scratched the surface. Later in the show, we have a fine or whine complaint from a French listener about an American airline, actually the American airline. But first, it's more of... Airport Codes Confidential. Ooh, what did I say that? (laughs) Airlines Confidential, right after this. Seabury Capital is a specialty finance and investment banking firm boasting a 25-year track record of advising key clients in aviation, aerospace, and defense, maritime, and financial services and technologies. Their award-winning and widely respected team has superior industry knowledge, along with state-of-the-art analysis, technology, and solutions, as well as an unmatched depth of relationship with decision makers in industry, finance, and government. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com. That's Seabury Capital, S-E-A-B-U-R-Y, seaburycapital.com. The Airlines Confidential Podcast is now available on Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at airlinesconfidential.com. With Ben Baldanza, I'm Seth Kaplan. This is Airlines Confidential. That's the real name, Airlines Confidential. (laughs) Get the codes out of your way in a little while. Uh, More of that in a minute. Ben, first, I I wanted to talk about a couple personal experiences. We've talked so much about refunds and different refund policies. And of course now airlines 
uh, not charging change fees anymore. I've had a few personal experiences in recent weeks with trying to get full refunds. And just thought I'd tell you about them. I mean, it's anecdotal. This is three different experiences, one time with three different airlines. It can vary. I'm sure lots of other people have different experiences. Happy to say, I mean, the, 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 I'll tell you the punchline first. They all worked. Like, like I, I, I got my money back from all three airlines without too much of a problem. Uh, it was American, United, and Spirit. So in each case, they changed my schedule by some amount of time or canceled flight, whatever. Something that, that, that could give me the right to get a refund. With American, oh, you know what that was? That was actually our original tickets to Cincinnati when the Boyd conference there was originally scheduled in late August. And then they had also coincidentally canceled the flight, changed the schedule by enough that I should be able to get the money back. So I canceled it. And with them, it wasn't immediately obvious to me how to get my money back, right? I could cancel the flight, but in terms of the refund, I ended up calling them. And they said, oh, and they just guided me to a place on the uh, on the website where then it was easy, right? But you had to cancel the flight and then request the refund. Not hard to do, but it was just an extra step. United had changed my plans also significantly for a trip that I no longer wanted to take. I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, we were supposed to go on a cruise from Quebec City down to Boston. Of course, there are no cruises in, in, in Canada. Well, no cruises, lots of places right now. <laughs> um, but uh, but anyway, but then, then at the, the schedule had also changed by enough that I should just be able to get my money back. So I got a notification by United. That was actually the easiest one. I when I when I went onto their site, it was just like click and then okay, do you want a travel credit or a refund? Just click for a refund. There was nothing else to request. It was really easy, actually. So United, I know early in the pandemic took a lot of flack for being inflexible with refunds. Uh, with that, at least I, I was I was impressed. Uh, American didn't give me a hard time. It, it was just took an extra step. Spirit, interestingly. They don't make it obvious that you can get your money back, perhaps not surprisingly. And, and I just kind of, and again, here I am, airline guy, right? <laughs> I'll show with you. You know, there's a lot of stuff I know, but I just didn't know specifically how to go about it. I Googled, like, how to get your money back from Spirit. And the points guy had written a good piece several months back with a headline, something like, I, I texted Spirit and got my money back quickly. So they said, just go on, like, the FAQs on their website. You know, look for this part about refunds and how to text them. Okay, in other words, just texting from your phone. And in this case, this is actually a flight for my parents from Boston to Fort Lauderdale. They were going to be on that same cruise. And I did that. I texted Spirit and just here's here's the PNR, the record locator number, uh, some other information, the passenger name, you know, just making sure that that, that I knew enough that I, uh, that I was obviously not trying to cancel somebody's flight who didn't want to be canceled. And then, and then they said, no problem. And they, they refunded the money. It was like $231, including bag fees for the, uh, for, for the one-way trip. So they gave me no hard time. I just had to look for it. So three very different experiences, happy ending for, for all three. I have to give it to United from a customer experience standpoint, if not perhaps an investor standpoint. <laughs> but but in the end, you hope that investors are going to be happy with an airline that makes people happy because they'll want to fly it again in the future. They made it the easiest of all. I'd rank it United, then American, then Spirit in terms of ease. But they all gave me no pushback. They all gave me my money back once I uh, figured out how to do it. So uh, several people emailed us pointing out 
Back to airport codes, Gary Left's piece in his View from the Wing blog a couple months ago about how Baltimore-Washington International Airport changed its code to BWI from BAL back in 1980. Jordan Kahlo, who works at BWI, pointed me to some other great information online about BWI, which is, uh, as Wikipedia explains, began life as Friendship International Airport, apparently named for Friendship Methodist Church, which held its last Easter Sunday service in 1948. Then they knocked down the church and built an airport. Kind of sad, right? Yeah. For church anyway, yeah. Although the congregation moved elsewhere. Just that Second time we've talked down. about 1948 in this podcast. That's right. <laughs> that, was a, that was a significant – yeah, exactly. And, and uh, right. we haven't even like gotten into the Middle East or anything. Well, Ben, don't feel bad. You were correct about one thing last week. From the April 21st, 1980 Washington Post, quote, yesterday, again, this is yesterday back in 1980, the International Air Transport Association, IATA, the organization that officially assigns three-letter codes, gave BWI to BAL. Quote, it's been a long, hard fight, uh, the airport director at the time said. So so you were right about the process, about the <laughs> IATA that assigns the codes and that changes the codes. They're the ones you have to go to. The article continues, quote, one problem that had to be resolved was that another airport already had the BWI designation. That airport, 10,000 miles from Baltimore, was in Bawani of Papua New Guinea. The lost luggage possibilities are <laughs> obvious, they said. Some great writing there by the Post That's right. 40 years ago. <laughs> The, what a fantastic story. I know Jordan Kahlo. What a, he's a really good guy, too. I didn't realize he was working at BWE. That's great. Yeah, and uh, BWE's a nicer name than Ball, too, I think. But, <laughs> but I heard from another friend who didn't write to Airlines Confidential about this change. And what he told me, and Jordan might be able to confirm this for us if he's listening, he said that the request to change BAL to BWI was a marketing effort by BWI who wanted themselves to be considered part of the greater Washington metro area. And they didn't want to think, look, there's Dulles and DCA and we're way out there. They wanted to be part of that group. So they said, we need to change our name to Baltimore, Washington International. We need to have a code that matches that. That's that's just really cool and all that. And I wonder what Bilwani is now. And I wonder if they had a I wonder if they had to bribe him in any way or if Baltimore had to like pay him something or or like how they got him to take another code. Seriously, yeah, and, and, and what you said, yeah, that the, the post article corroborated that apparently they had changed their name to Baltimore, Washington several years earlier, but then the fight to actually get the airport code to match it it took time. And and they said that even though they had the name, they just felt that the code was so important that the airport director back then described, you know, the idea of a little girl showing up at an airport counter and her, she's going to Washington and her bag is tagged B-A-L, you know, and and, and, no. Uh, (laughs) and, and, And what I also didn't realize is that so we think of that as kind of a later marketing thing that this was the alternative to Washington, but Dulles didn't open until the '60s. So BWI was the airport for big airplanes that couldn't land at National for like 15 years, from from like the late '40s until the early '60s when a plane couldn't land at National, it, it, it landed at BWI. That was the alternative airport. Then Dulles sort of took over that role. 
and uh, the rest is, you know. Well, wait, there's more, Ben. I mentioned Gary Left's article about BWI. Gary himself pointed out to me that Fresno's airport, Fresno, California, <laughs> tried in vain to change its code to FYI when it renamed itself Fresno Yosemite International. Uh, you would want to change your code, too, if your code was the unfortunate acronym for Fresno Air Terminal, F-A-T, pronounce that. Meanwhile, Howard at Campbell Hill Aviation and their service development firm full of aviation geeks pointed out to me that Phoenix Mesa Gateway Airport, a big hub for Allegiant, airport code AZA, previously was known as Williams Gateway, code IWA. And what's interesting about that, I looked this up, is that... Okay, so you mentioned, Ben, the three-letter IATA codes, which are the ones we're talking about here, and the four-letter ICAO codes. But then there are three-letter FAA codes in the U.S. Now, most of them are the same as the IATA codes. Same thing. But in the case of Phoenix Mesa, the IATA code is the one you and I know, AZA. But the FAA code is IWA. And apparently, this is according to Wikipedia, that's the code the general aviation community uses. So it's a little planes at that same airport is IWA, not AZA. That's fascinating. I have one more story to tell you and the <laughs> listeners. That it isn't really a code story, but since we've talked about 1948s when JFK, when Idlewild became JFK and, and Baltimore, Washington changing it, my son, who's 14, has started to watch Alfred Hitchcock movies and is enjoying them. And one of his favorites is North by Northwest. And one question he asked me after seeing the movie is he said, when they got on the flight, why did they go to Midway Airport? Why didn't they go to O'Hare? <laughs> And I thought that was really a, a funny reaction to that. But then we looked it up. And in fact, when O'Hare didn't open till like two years after that movie was made. And I yeah. said that to him. And I said, I said, Midway was the airport of Chicago until O'Hare was built. And this movie was made in the 50s. I said, maybe O'Hare didn't even exist yet. And in fact, it had been selected as a site and they were building the airport when that movie was made. But all of the Northwest flights at the time were at Midway Airport. I just thought it was funny that he brought that up. Is why I wouldn't oh, that's fantastic. Do you, do, you, do, you want to, do you want to guess, Ben, the, the airline I flew the first time I flew to Midway? Oh, was it um, America Transair? It was. Oh, <laughs> good guess. Huh? Airline code. <laughs> Airline code TZ. Yeah, that was, that was August of 2000, just just over just over 20 years ago. Yeah, so yeah, so, they, had uh, a, they had a reasonable presence there, and so that's why I thought they yeah. might. Yeah. In fact, Southwest presence today is because if you it's know, because they, of that they exactly ATA. That's right, exactly. So that is a monster hub. I mean, they don't call it a hub, but but what it, what, what do you call a place with 200 flights a day or whatever? It is, you know, <laughs> yeah, normal time, right. Right? And then half the people connecting between them, right? It's uh, <laughs> and that does that all dates to Southwest sort of buying what was left of ATA. Well, do you have a question for us that's not about airport codes, please. You could call us. I mean, you could, you could give us more airport codes, but we also want to talk about other things next week. You could call us 305-379-7429 and record a question. We'll play it on the air. You can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or you can jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. You'll see a forum on there. Finer Wine is next, but first we want to thank Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. 
Hotel Connections is a Fortune 1000 company and procures more than 30 million rooms annually on behalf of their clients. Hotel Connections monitors and tracks room utilization to ensure that you get the most out of the rooms you buy and that you only pay for what was consumed. For travel, logistics, hotels, transport, and technology solutions, visit hotelconnections.com. That's hotelconnections.com. Well, beginning our initial descent on today's show, it's time for Fine or Wine. We listen to an actual customer complaint, and then we talk about whether a complaint is fine or if they're just whining. Usually we use publicly filed complaints for people we don't know, but we love when we get a complaint from one of our listeners, and we have exactly that this week from Stefan, who listens to us in Paris. That's right, Seth, and Stefan is complaining about American Airlines, but fortunately not about our show. (laughs) (laughs) Stefan writes, hi guys, first of all, first off, I love the show. I thought I would submit a finer wine experience so you can tell me your thoughts. I was traveling from Greensboro, North Carolina, back to my then home in Washington, D.C. My initial flight was departing around 4 p.m., but American Airlines advised the passengers that the aircraft was delayed due to a technical issue. The departure time was delayed multiple times as AA tried to get another plane unsuccessfully. At midnight, the AA gate agent told me to come back the next day for a 9 a.m. flight. AA tried to locate the passengers in a hotel, but by 1 a.m. we were still waiting in the airport, so I decided to book myself a hotel nearby. I figured that since the delay was mechanical, therefore AA's responsibility, they would have to reimburse this expense. I asked the gate agent who confirmed my assumption, AA will take the bill. The next day, when finally back home in DC, I submitted the request for reimbursement. The response from AA, quote, some delays and cancellations are inevitable. For this reason, we cannot assume financial responsibility for customers' personal time lost or for out-of-pocket expenses incurred as a result of operational difficulties. AA also offered me 15,000 miles in compensation. Dear Ben, dear Seth, I'm a seasoned traveler and I spend a lot of time in airports. Delays are inevitable and I always keep my cool. But when AA denied my request, I got really frustrated and wrote them an incendiary email. I was an Advantage Platinum member and did not appreciate being denied this legitimate request, especially as I very well knew the delay was their responsibility and they confirmed it at the airport. AA eventually sent me 120 USD. Is she a relative of yours, Seth? The room was $150, and I got to keep the 15K miles well used for a flight to Columbia, South Carolina, that is. I honestly felt that AA was trying to pull a cheap trick and lied to me. I was really surprised I would need to negotiate with them for something I thought would be a given. Am I whining here? In any case, I've decided I would not fly American Airlines again unless they are the cheapest flight available or have the most convenient times. <laughs> Thanks again for your show, Stefan. Oh, wow. <laughs> Great letter. And actually, uh, Stefan spelled Columbia C-O-L-O-M-B-I. So I'm guessing maybe, oh, yeah, maybe. You're right. Maybe Columbia the country, uh, which I guess you could get an off-peak maybe one way or. In fact, I'm sure it is the country <laughs> since he spelled it that way now that I right. see it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So. What do you? Th- I mean, I have my opinion, but 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 what do you think, Ben? Fine well, or fine? Well, American gave him the money. They told him he was going to get the money, so they should have just given it to him at first. I don't. Yeah. I don't think he's whining here. Yeah. And as a platinum advantage member, I think American would have all kinds of reasons to just say, "Let's not make this become an issue here." 
right? They, yeah. they could see how much he drove. And I'm not saying treat him better than you would treat just somebody who bought you once, but that's the way business is. You know, I w- at one point in my career, I was at an event where I was sitting next to, uh, it, it was sort of an award, an award event for employees, all right? And I was sitting next to someone I had never met before, and it was a woman who worked in one of the call centers, and she worked at the frequent flyer desk. And I said, well, what is your job? And you know how she described her job for me? She oh. said, my job is to do whatever the most senior frequent flyers want me to do for them. <laughs> that, that's how she described her job, right? Yeah. And so now that wasn't an American person, right? But that's the way airlines are, right? They, they overcompensate almost for the people who do fly them a lot. And the fact that when Stefan said he was an Advantage Platinum member, I was shocked that that he had to go through that rigmarole to sort of get the, get the, um, get the refund. But the real reason that I think he, this is not a wine and he was, he was, did the right thing is because he was told by the airport agent that the company will take care of it. And we, we face this a lot in some of these finer wines, where if you're told something by someone in the company, that word is gospel. Yeah. And whether that's policy or not, the company needs to make good on that and follow up with that employee later if they said the last thing. But don't and, hold the customer responsible for that. And not only that, but specifically here, the airline was trying to find hotel rooms for these people. So it's acknowledging that it owes you a hotel room. And here's something that if anything, here's somebody I should say that if anything is saving American the trouble. Apparently he was struggling to procure hotel rooms that night. And here's someone who went out and did it, took care of it. I realized that the negotiator rate might be lower or whatever, but, but so yeah, no, for in a lot of ways, this is one, you know, a few times in my life, Ben, I've been in a situation going back and forth with customer service at a company where I was just so clearly right that I've said to the person on the other end, look, let me tell you how this ends. Like in the end, I'm I'm going to get my money back or whatever it is that I should get here. So can we just do this the easy way, right? Can we just not make life hard on me and you and waste <laughs> a lot of time with lots of people at your company and make me angry? Because in the end, like if I write a letter to the CEO describing what happens here, like I'm going to get my money back. So, and this just seems like one of those things where somebody should have realized like, come on, we owed Stefan a hotel room. Stefan found himself his own hotel room. Uh, you know, and is an advantage platinum and all the rest of it. Of course, he's going to get his money back. Let's just not put him through this. I'm glad he got his money back, but uh, I am too. Let me let me tell you one other funny story, Seth, because it relates to what you just said. When I first got my job at Spirit Airlines, I got a call from a customer that I knew from my days at U.S. Airways. He was someone who had been a frequent flyer at U.S. Airways, and I had gotten to know him through that. And he called me and he said, congratulations on taking the role at Spirit. I thought you might want to know from customer standpoint what people think of Spirit. And I said, (laughs) and now this was not the Spirit that people think of today, right? This was the 2005 Spirit. It wasn't the unbundled spirit or any of that. Spirit. No, you could you could have still you could have still flown Spirit Plus up front. <laughs> no, that's, some, uh, that's right. Garden. But what he said to me is, I said, sure, I want to hear that. And he said, well, there's two things: you can't expect to be on time, and if you scream, not even all that loudly, you'll get your money back. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I thought that was really funny. And I appreciated him calling me and telling me that. Um, but clearly the industry's changed, hasn't it? Just a bit in the last 13 years. <laughs> On final approach now, that does it for Airlines Confidential this week. Please fasten your seatbelts and ensure your seatbacks and trade tables are in their upright and locked positions. And remember, we'd love to hear your questions at 305-379-7429 or email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. From the Airlines Confidential Studios, I'm Seth Kaplan. And I'm Ben Baldanza. Talk to you soon. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.